I never thought of myself as smug. That's the really humiliating bit. I didn't plaster a Briarwood independent and outstanding sticker on our car's back window. Not everyone needs to know where you go to school, darlings. I wore my engagement ring. Of course I was going to wear it. But my wedding band was as discreet and unassuming as a light switch. I was careful never to mention how easily I fell pregnant, yes, all three times, or that after 12 years of marriage, Stuart and I still had sex at least once a week. I didn't say things like, the kids are doing long haul so much better these days, or my dermatologist is excellent, but I am too much of a scaredy cat for filler before 40. Those are actual quotes from the school gate, by the way. You can see where my baseline was. I thought I was way too humble and sensitive and grounded for any of that sort of talk. And anyway, I felt the opposite of smug. I felt like someone who had to try really hard just to manage the minimum. But I was smug, insufferably. Lots of people probably think I got exactly what was coming to me, and I agree with them. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis and today we're joined by Katie McMahon talking about her debut book, The Mistake, a salacious and suspenseful novel of hidden secrets and consequences, perfect for fans of Leanne Moriarty and Marion Keys. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So you first started on The Mistake while you were attending a writing masterclass run by Fiona McIntosh of all people. How did your debut come about from those classes? Well, I was very lucky to get sent to the Fiona McIntosh masterclass. Um, my dad actually gave me that masterclass as a Christmas present one year, which was so nice of him because he normally has a policy that no one over the age of 12 gets a Christmas present. Okay, um, that's a bit yeah. strict. <laughs> it's quite strict. I mean, he only brought that in in the last few years when we were all adults. Mm. Um, anyway, so he gave he, he made an exception and gave gave me this Christmas present, which was a trip to the to the masterclass, which was really lovely. The main thing that I learned there was that you just have to write. Whether or not it's flowing that particular day, whether or not you think it's great that particular day, I just remember Fiona saying, stop being so precious. Just sit down and write. So I did, and some days I'd be happy with what I wrote and other days not. But the key thing was that on the days I wasn't so happy, I could go back and redraft that stuff or take it out or improve it or think about what was wrong. It was just a matter of getting down that scaffolding at least rather than hmm. repeating the first paragraph that you'd written, working on that, labouring over it until that was perfect. And then after three months, you'd have a really beautiful paragraph, but not much else. Yeah. And, and with the mistake, what was the genesis of, of that book? And it's, how did it start? Oh, well, I actually started with these characters about 20 years ago when, uh, well, well, yeah, 2001, 2002, when I was an intern. So I'd just finished my medical degree and I was, for the first time in ages, had kind of spare time where I wasn't 
sort of studying and reading textbooks. Mm. And I just wrote this little kind of, kind of couple of chapters which were about the character of Beck as a young woman. And I had this really clear sense of her in my head and of her family you know, and some experiences that she had as a young woman. And then, and, you know, over the years, then life got really busy again with work and family and all the things that life tends to get busy with. And I would on and off just think, oh, I wonder what happens to Beck when she, you know, grows up and so on. And then around the time of that masterclass, I, I, you know, was in a position to have a little bit of time to write. I thought, oh, well, you know, I'd like to write about Beck and what's happening for her now that she's a bit older. And yeah, that was really the genesis of the mistake. Is there much that changed with Kate and her story and character, particularly from those kind of original thoughts you had about her to now? Yeah, definitely. When I started writing the mistake, this most recent, you know, this one, Kate was just this very much not a central character. She was just, the, you know, the big sister and the story was supposed to be all about Beck. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, well, I can include a conversation that Beck's having with her big sister who's off elsewhere. And then the character of, of Kate just kind of pretty much stormed onto the computer and, and started to take over the book. So I kind of had mixed feelings about it because I was like, oh, this is going to be make, make the whole thing more difficult. I'm going to have to write from two points of view and include two stories. And I pretty much just fell in love with Kate and wanted to keep writing about her. Keeping on with Kate, I guess one of the defining aspects of her character and what sets her apart from, from Beck, her sister, is the fact that she's missing part of her arm. What made you want to make that a part of her character and sort of like the struggles that she faces? Yeah, it's a good question. I had this sense of Kate. Well, there are a few issues that I wanted to explore. I had this sense of Kate as someone who was vulnerable in some way. And I knew it was because of her feelings about the way she looked. I guess it really tapped into something I, you know, I was experiencing at the time and, you know, which I think is a pretty common experience of just being aware of how much my sense of myself was tied up in how I looked. You know, I think pretty much any woman over 40 does experience a change in how people relate to her after a certain age. Possibly that's the same for, for men too. But I, I do think it, it is more the case for women that we're so pressured to be young and pretty. And most of our role models, certainly for my generation growing up, you know, all the women I saw on TV, literally all the women I saw on TV who were kind of the heroines, hmm. young and pretty, right? Yeah. You do feel as you get older, well, you know, I'm not saying I was particularly gorgeous or anything, but you do notice that, 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 that there's a change and, and you feel a bit more invisible as you get older. So anyway, I was sort of interested in this theme of change. And so for Kate, I thought it would be interesting to explore someone who had been, you know, at the extreme of beauty. So Kate is you know, like, like a, in one of the early drafts that said, oh, yeah, Who magazine listed me as the 17th most beautiful person in the world, right? She was in that kind of, uh, that kind of league. Also was pretty much only identified by beauty. That, that was her thing. She was a model. She was a beautiful woman. That was what she was. And then when she lost part of her arm, she began to be defined in a different way and was no longer considered by many people sort of conventionally beautiful and particularly at that time in history. I mean, her, her amputation is set around the early 2000s. 
so that's why I chose to make it like that. And, and actually, in another way, it wasn't a choice. I just kind of had this sense of what she was going through, this real feeling. Yeah, that's what I tried to, to convey and to write about. And in terms of those societal pressures of beauty, how did you want to explore those with Beck's character? Oh, good question. I mean, I think for Beck, her beauty was perhaps less of an issue. She kind of was someone who in her youth felt very secure about who she was. Like she, she was pretty enough, mm. you know, she, she didn't really think that much about her looks. Um, she was, she was very kind of into her career and into, into philanthropy and into her social life up until a certain point. I think as for various reasons, which I won't give away any spoilers, those things fell away from her probably you know, the way she looked and the fact that she was, you know, the least beautiful in inverted commas sister began to and to prey on her mind. And the fact that Kate was the sexy one, again, in inverted commas, began to prey on her mind a bit. So, I, yeah, I saw that that as part of Beck's kind of arc of her character, what she'd been through. And when it comes to Kate and Beck, are they sort of composites of yourself or people you know? How did you sort of go about crafting their personalities and also their relationship with each other? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're, they're composites for my, of myself. I often think about when I was, you know, I think I was about 18 and I was really into essential oils and aromatherapy and blah, blah. And I was living in the UK at the time and there was this shop in Guildford where there were heaps and heaps of essential oils. Like that was all it sold. And on every shelf, there would be labels saying, you know, what this will help you with. So I used to go in there and think, oh, you know, there's an oil for having more confidence and there's an oil for opening your heart and there's an oil for becoming more light and humorous and there's an oil for if you're too insecure and there's an oil for if you're too overconfident and narcissistic. And then buy all these oils. And then I thought, there can't be that much wrong with me, right? That I need. 50 oils. So I think, in, you know, if I look at myself, yes, I can find elements of, of all the characters in me. I don't think any more so than anyone. Yeah, you know, they're not like me particularly. They're not based on me. And um, how I developed the characters was really a process of getting to know them, I think. I just wrote, you know, thousands of words that ended up in the bin but I actually see that as research. Like if you're writing mm. historical fiction, you would obviously research the history of the place that you're writing about. But if you're writing contemporary fiction, your research is observing, it's observing life, but it's also writing into these characters. And as you're writing, you're learning about the characters. And then, so you don't publish all your research, you just take that as learning. Hmm, that's a really interesting way to put it, to experimenting with characters and their personalities is like like doing research. Yeah, thanks. Well, it makes you feel that it's, you know, that, that what you chuck in the bin is more worthwhile, right? <laughs> it's still worthwhile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it came to the kind of book that you wanted to write, were there any particular authors that you were sort of looking to for inspiration? Well, I wanted to write a book that I enjoyed reading and the books that I enjoy reading... Um, the, you know, the authors I love are Leanne Moriarty, the brilliant Australian novelist, uh, Marion Keyes, the brilliant Irish novelist, 
And, you know, actually, I just was rereading some books that, that my daughter received for Christmas by Judy Bloom, who writes kind of, you know, children or young adult fiction, who I just devoured as a young person. And I was thinking that her kind of conversational tone is something that I would, you know, love to emulate. So I suppose you could say those authors were inspiration, both in their kind of character development, their insight really into the human condition. Just because you're writing in the setting of domesticity or intimate relationships, it doesn't mean you're not writing about the human condition. Some of those authors' books are so insightful. I I just think they're works of genius, actually, some of them. Hmm. Really amazing. Well, The Mistake's big focus is on how seemingly small things that we do can sort of spiral out of control and have irreversible consequences. What made you want to look at that sort of theme, and especially, I guess, in that domestic setting that you were talking about earlier? Oh, my mind is actually often thinking over with, with what could happen here, you know, what could possibly go wrong. I, I wonder a bit whether that's a result of my medical training, because obviously as a doctor, you're always taught to be very safe. So a common phrase you hear in your you know, medical training is things like, if a person has chest pain, they are having a heart attack until proven otherwise. So you're always sort of thinking, what's the worst thing this could be? I have to make sure it's not that, you know, which is a safe way to think. But I don't know if it's because of that, but I, I sometimes do just find my mind going to, you know, what could go wrong here? What could... What could this lead to? And just kind of playing around with that a little bit. I guess that's, uh, that, that's maybe part of what went on in a mistake. Well, when it comes to the kind of characters that books like Mary, by Marianne Keyes look at and the mistake as well, characters that are sort of flawed and sometimes make problematic decisions that could be a bit confounding to the reader. How do you navigate making those characters seem relatable, but also flawed enough that there's tension in the book? Yeah, good question. It's hard, isn't it? Because you don't write, want to write a character that everyone hates. That you don't like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think that many, in inverted commas, mistakes or flaws that we have as people, they more come about from our vulnerability rather than from hmm. waking up in the morning and thinking, ho-ho, you know, what evil deeds can I do today? Very few people do that. so. I try to have an understanding of what drives people to make decisions that I find appalling. But, but what's driving that? Why are they like that? Mm. And I think that naturally then flows into making a character likeable um, or at least relatable or understandable. Well, for my final question, now that you have your debut book done and dusted, what's next for your writing career? Are you working on anything else at the moment? I'm working on a second book and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I showed a couple of pages to my daughter and she goes, mum, this is like slime that hasn't had enough activator added. <laughs> she plays slime. Slime. So there's this, there's this trend in, in, in kids where they play, they make slime. So you mix up like shaving cream and bicarb soda and stuff called activator and glue and you okay. mix it up. And if you haven't had enough activator, it's, it just stays really gross and slimy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that'd be a great quote for the cover. Like slime without enough activator. 
<laughs> that's a very fascinating metaphor. Yeah, I know. I was like, well, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very, very nicely put, right? Hmm. But um, so, so those pages are considered research. <laughs> well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Max. Thanks a lot for having me. Mm-hmm.